podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready. Play. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking Tennis. I'm Jack Edwards and today I'm joined by Sophia Shapatava. Is that right, Sophia? Correct. Lovely to see you, uh, Sophia. Lovely to meet you for the first time. Very quickly. No worries, of course. Uh, absolute pleasure for me to talk to you. Just to introduce you a little bit to everybody watching. Sophia, this is a little bit of your career summary and I'm going to ask you for your thoughts. Georgian veteran player, 34 years old, career high ranking of 186, achieved in 2014. Career highlights include a couple of singles, ITF titles in Lucknow and Antalya, further 12 singles finals and 32 ITF doubles titles. The last one coming only last month in Jerusalem. Made one appearance in a Grand Slam main draw at the 2014 French Open. Four other appearances in Slam qualifying. Four top 100 wins throughout your career. And has you've played the former world number one, Helena Jankovic. Now, it's interesting because we often judge players on their career highlights. But Sophia, I've just summarised your career over the course of 18 years in a minute. And it feels fairly unjust, right? For you, Sophia... As somebody who's a sort of ambassador for lower rank players who've stuck it out, what's your career highlight? Can you tell me anything about your career? Uh, well, <laughs> I haven't known some facts about that. I haven't counted that <laughs> statistics, I would say. Uh, well, yeah, it's way more than numbers because the rankings never show or summarize the number of injuries you had or financial situations you've been in, a uh, country you're from. I'm from a very small country where tennis is not really popular or a priority. So it's been very hard and I'm actually proud of everything I've achieved. It was great. It was amazing. As you said, I played all the Grand Slam, every big event I could. I've played some amazing players Uh like Jelena Jankovic, which you just men- mentioned, Radvanska, Sibulkova. So I've spent some great time on court as well as some bad time. So, yeah, judging players by just a number is uh, very false, I would say. And many people don't understand that because you see the ranking, you see the latest stats, and that's about it. But even this year, like I was 260 in the rankings just a couple of months ago. But uh, because of the COVID, the system was frozen in a different way. I had to defend some ranking points from 2019 and some ranking points were from 2021, uh, which made it actually difficult to maintain the ranking. And I also had some private issues and I had to take off a couple of months. So I just lost basically over 200 positions just because the system made it almost impossible for me to have my ranking. So it's very gray area for people who are not really in tennis to understand that it's just more than just a number. You can be absolutely fit, but still lose some ranking points because of the situation. Well, I think it's interesting, Sophia, because there's, there's people in tennis that probably don't understand it as well, particularly fans. Something I think I'm going to talk about immediately. I was going to wait a little bit to talk about it, but I, I feel like fans can be very disparaging of great players you know, they're, they're disparaging players in the top 100, even players in the top 10. You know, you get a lot of flack on Maria Sacre, for example, who, because she didn't win a title this year, she's seen as a sort of underachiever when she's still number, you know, four or five in the world as she's beaten some of the best. Anyway, that's an example. My point is, can you start to give fans an idea of 
how much commitment it takes to even become sort of top 500 in the world you know what's anything on that basically well I'll start with Maria Sakkari. I mean, underachiever is a bit an under, like, exactly. it's, a, it's such a statement. Uh, Maria Sakkari is one of the most consistent players on tour. She has a result every single week. She's in quarters, in semis all the time, or in final. Oh, some technical issues there, possibly. I think uh, Sophia may have just... Uh, 10 first thrown. rounds in a row, oh. if you know what I mean. I mean, it takes a lot to be in semis every week. You have to be so fit and so actually uh, enthusiastic, even with all this travel and planes and everything. I mean, she's she's right there all the time. And some players win a week and then they, they take off for three, four weeks and they don't win anything, but they still have a title. And Maria actually was consistent throughout the year, actually throughout the last couple of years. She's always right there. So it takes a lot of effort and fit actually yeah so yeah but i mean so so maria sacri is obviously your absolute greatest example of a player who is disparaged basically by fans and absolutely can't be but then you've also got players oh i think this view is just cut out for a second there she might be back in a second oh she's gone (laughs) sophia's vanished again (laughs) there we go we've got a producer here Jack to, to fill in. Listen, I know that uh, Sophia's had a few issues with, with blackouts and stuff in, in Turkey, and that may be the same again. Uh, listen, I, I can just fill in for a few minutes at least, Jack. I mean, what do you think about the fan culture that we have now regarding certain players? Maria Sacco, you touched on it. On both the men's and the women's side, do you think that social media has, has made us even more critical than ever before? Yeah, it's exactly what I was kind of touching on. And Sophia is probably your best example to to sort of get unearth that a bit. Fans are, I think it's toxic. I mean, fans will jump on any sort of weakness, any, any supposed weakness, anything that looks like a player is underachieving. I mean, the majority of tennis players will lose at the end of a week, right? There's only one tennis player at the end of each week who hasn't lost a match. So I feel like as soon as, as soon as somebody loses a match, then it's, it's seen as weakness when in reality, and it's exactly what Sophia touched on there. Don't worry, Sophia, you've not missed anything. Um, I was just saying there, Maria Sakri is your absolute, you know, nth degree example of somebody who achieves so much but still gets flack. You can get top 100 players who will lose for the majority of the year, but playing at the very highest level, the amount of work commitment that goes into getting to that level isn't really appreciated by fans, I feel. Anything yeah, and, you can touch on there, sorry? Yeah, go on. Well, well the, the problem is it's also uh, the fans don't see how much effort it takes to travel, all this packing, unpacking, you got to always move, how much, how big of a toll it takes on actually athletes' body, all these jet lags every week, different climate, you always feel the different way on the court, more humidity, less humidity, you need to restrain the rackets according to altitude, so it's so much more than just swinging a racket on the match, and you know, especially with female players, I'm sorry to mention this out loud and so open, but there's also a period factor, you know, you might be super <laughs> but there's there's this one day a month you cannot compete there's so much more than just one specific match and I think Maria Sakkari is a perfect example of someone who's actually I think she's the fittest in my opinion in tennis tour and she probably played the most matches and I think she is absolutely underrated player and the same goes to all the players that are actually lower ranked 
because it's so much more than just 15 and 25k tournaments and it's so much work actually to stay there because the competing uh, how to say the conditions of competition on that level are very bad and you have to arrange so many things which are not organized by the tournaments and by the governing bodies because it's just simply too many players and it's too small the tournament to put enough effort to make it feel like quite like really professional like for mm -hmm. instance yesterday my own student had to play in a 50 kilometer per hour wind gust while it was raining while the court was wet without chair empire without a ball change and she She's so young and so raw, you know, and she has no idea how to handle these conditions. But she has to play because if she wants to get somewhere, she needs to start from here, you know, and then yeah. she lost the match. And like even for her parents, it's still, oh, why did she lose a match? And there was so much more than just, oh, she had to play tennis. There was a wind, there was a, like rain, there was... I don't know, like it wasn't even like bright enough to see the ball, but sometimes <laughs> the simple plain result on the paper and they judge from that so it's very very false to be honest yeah and quite sad i would say and the, i'm not i'm not going to get into this too much but there's certainly a market for watching lower level tennis because fans in particular don't appreciate a the hard work that goes into it and b the difference i feel between say a top 100 player and a top 500 player and i think it's maybe something you could talk about sophia because i'm interested to hear your thoughts what is the difference? It's not much, right? To be honest, like to be honest, when I started to just play professional tennis, when I was myself 17 years old, for me, this 15K tournaments and 25K tournaments was a big deal because like, you know, like I was just so young. I was like so excited to play anywhere. And actually on my, one of the first tournaments, I beat top 200 player while having no ranking myself. And I, I don't think like she played bad. I just was way more excited to be on the small tournament than she was and that excitement took over and uh, but to be very honest when i just started to play the the level of the game of 15 and 25k tournaments was way lower so you could just go as a seated player pass a round or two without much effort and then from quarters you could put a lot of effort into winning a tournament now it on the contrary is way way different now even when you go on a 15k tournament it's a very small tournament and you can see a player that's ranked 500 playing against someone 800 and it's a legit good professional tennis match they're all fit their yeah. fitness level is way higher uh, no one makes easy mistakes anymore there's a consistent points everyone serves returns it's such a good tennis matches, but it's so hard to gain points on this uh, level of tournaments that many people just get stuck there and they can't get out because it's just simply not enough points and not enough possibilities for them to play on the higher events, you know. Actually, uh, this year ITF worked a lot and next year there's going to be way more bigger tournaments on ITF tour, which will actually provide way more possibilities to these younger players, players that are ranked 300, 400, which is great. They invested money yeah. and it's finally moving somewhere forward. But up until this moment, basically to win a 15K tournament, you get just 10 ranking points, 10, which will get you nowhere, absolutely nowhere on a big scale. But you have to win five really really hard matches like i'm here in antalya with my student i didn't plan to play this tournament but i was quite fit so i thought like okay out of the hack of it i'm gonna play it because these 10 points don't mean anything to my ranking so i just played it out of practice so i i lost in semis i had to play four uh, 
three matches before semis. I actually pl played two three-set matches. Mm -hmm. And on the semifinal, I had to play the second match of the day because the weather conditions that I told you were ridiculous. So I played a three-set match. And one hour later, I had to play another singles match. And I was just simply tired. And to be very honest, it didn't mean as much to me as to my opponent. So I was just like kind of in my groove trying some stuff. But she was really, really willing to win. And it's just... It was just a legit good tournament, but on the paper, like some people just even text me on Instagram, like, oh, you're so experienced, you're old, like you've played all the tournaments, how can you not win 15K like easy? And I cannot explain to these people that these kids, they really play good. They're all fit, they all want to win, they are very enthusiastic, they really want to get out of here. <laughs> like They really want to get somewhere. So you actually yeah. have to play a really good tennis match. And on the contrary, like I go on a bigger tournament and I play someone top 100 and I don't see much difference in a game. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes I win way easier against higher ranked players than against lower ranked young players because lower ranked young players want to gain something way more than someone who has a sore muscle and thinks, okay, I'm going to go like to Grand Slam qualies next month. So it's not worth for me to like really kill myself this week yeah. for this five or 60K. So they might retire or they might not like really push through the pain while the yeah. young players, they will give their absolute back to compete against you no matter yeah. the conditions yeah i think here here's an interesting question and given everything you've said there because you're saying top 100 players there's not much of a difference sometimes it can depend what's coming up in the calendar obviously the calendar itself is super stacked there's an event every other week nowadays right and you're talking about consistency not getting rewarded sometimes at lower level events you may be talking about the forty thousand dollar event i think that's getting introduced next year that might be what you're talking about with bigger opportunities Anyway, I want to know what you value more. Do you value physicality or mentality on the court more? Like, which is more important, do you think, when it comes down to it? Well, as a person who really likes fitness and nutrition, I would say physicality, but I know for good from myself and my personal experience that unless you're mentally fit your physicality won't bring you nowhere you might be unfit but still push through because you're mentally solid and you're just committed and you might be absolutely fit but get full body cramps in the first set because you're just too nervous and too uptight so i would say mental fitness is very important yeah. but of course of course you need to be physically fit too but i would say still like the most important still is a bit mentality and how tough you are yeah um, as a follow-up to that, I know two of the sort of biggest results of your career were kind of, th th there's two sort of mentality moments, I guess, that I could point to that, that sort of highlight the best parts of your career. There was a third round of US Open qualification in 2014. I know you went to serve for the match a couple of times and your opponent went on to win, which must have hurt. Contrastingly, there was a third round qualification in the French Open that you ended up winning after your opponent served for the match. So both of those moments you were on the precipice and the kind of result kind of went the other way. Is there anything you can sort of say about those matches? Was it physicality? Was it mentality? Well, uh, if we want to keep this completely honest, I'm going to tell you my state of mind on court. On a French Open, I had uh, more financial stability, if I'm allowed to say that, like in oh, this live okay. video. 
So I was more, more calm and I was losing, but I was thinking to myself, okay, I made it to the third round of qualities of French Open, not my favorite surface. I don't really enjoy specifically clay. So I was just calm. So I kept playing and it was fine. On contrary, on the US Open, I was not there really financially. I had some struggles and I was really nervous and I went to serve on a match and I was like actually thinking while playing a match that, damn, that's 20 grand difference between this round and my next round. I really got to win it. And I got so tight that I physically could not finish the match. I was, I, I just couldn't like swing the racket. I was just pushing it in, but it was way too slow. So it was like, uh, yeah, that's uh, mentality, I would say. That was yeah. mentally. I couldn't like overcome my thoughts, which I shouldn't have had at all on court. I should have just played tennis, but I did have them. And that's actually one of the struggles lower ranked players have. They have to think for about so much more than just playing tennis that people don't know. And it, it actually gets tough. Yeah, of course. And uh, th- this is probably a really good segue, right, to talk about Shapa Management, your, your your company that you've set up. I guess you are aware that a lot of players that were in your position and um, that, that are now in your position that you were in feel a little bit like they're under-resourced. They don't really know what to do, might feel a bit lost. Anything you can you can tell us about that? I also know, I'll just add that, that you started a campaign during COVID to help lower-ranked players. It's obviously something very close to your heart. Just tell us a bit about Shapa Management, Sophia. So the player who comes from a very small country with a very, very low financial income and background, uh, it took me a while to find out that I can play a prize money tournaments, exhibition matches, club matches where I can help to sustain myself as a professional tennis player. So obviously I didn't have any contacts to have a rackets or strings or any outfits. So I had to buy them because I didn't know I could actually have contracts, even though my ranking was pretty good. I was inside 200 uh, in the world. And just simply because I didn't know that all of this is possible, I was just struggling my way through it. And somewhere on, at the age of 25, 26, I became more aware of this stuff. But I do believe that my career ho- could have gone way, way, way better than it went. If I knew all the necessary stuff and I had all the tools if I knew them earlier and I would save myself time, injuries and even money because I would have simply made more by playing better and more efficient. So I created this company to bring everything to the same space, like tennis consulting, where you can like create your calendar, find club matches, exhibition matches to gain yourself some more financial freedom to then maybe hire a coach or play more tournaments. And I can also connect players to uh, stringing companies, racket companies, so they don't need to worry about, oh my God, I need to spend money to buy rackets, obviously, when... They can simply get them maybe for free. Uh, I have a really good mental uh, mental energy coach, mental coach there who can actually help players when they have anxieties or they're nervous or they have something important coming up. I also have a really good physio that's also available for a consulting online because there's so many injuries. And on a smaller tournaments, we really don't have the luxury of the good physios. And sometimes even the advice over the phone actually can be very helpful like how can you massage yourself or how can you yourself help yourself if you're just like just right now injured how not to make it worse you know and uh, my husband is a nutrition consultant as well as a tennis coach so it's also like not many players especially young players take care of how they eat they drink coke and take a lot of uh, things that contain aspartame uh, in this uh, energy bars and they think they're doing good and try to help themselves while they're 
consuming ingredients that can actually inflame them and make them injured. And all this stuff, you know, people don't know when they're just starting their career. So it was very important for me that it was all in one space when they can click on this one website and we can help them round up basically all their ear or maybe help in the upcoming like couple of months to sustain themselves or help themselves uh, I don't know prolong their tennis career yeah of course and that, that's the most important thing the longer you can play for right the better especially in yeah. this day and age 100% yeah I mean that's a lot of really interesting stuff and I, you know I admire it a lot Sophia it's um, really really impressive um, yeah the, you know I really hope it goes well for you um, and uh, your wealth of knowledge I'm sure will be really helpful to a lot of players my uh, sort of last question before we leave just I had a sort of rundown of the other Georgian players that have done stuff over the years. Meski, is that, is that her name? Meski, Tatishvili, Bokvadze, Gurgodze, and then yourself really would be the, in the top five best Georgian players of all time. I mean, how much pride does that bring you? Well, uh, obviously, I take a lot of pride in being one of the best players of my country, obviously. Also, it took me a lot of effort and a lot of struggles to actually get to this Grand Slam level. And I'm very, as I said before, I'm very proud of my journey. Obviously, I'm very far from Leila Masri. She's our Georgian tennis legend. Uh, she was top number 11 in the world. Uh, and in the race, she was number seven, if I'm not mistaken. So I would love to have her results, but unfortunately, up until now, I didn't. Uh, and uh, I did compete for Billie Jean King Cup, previously Fed Cup, for 10 years, and I took a lot of pride, actually, to compete for my country and uh, represent it the best I could. It actually means a lot to me. So, yeah, obviously, when I see my, na my name on the websites and I knowing that I played the main draw of a Grand Slam, it's... It just humbles me down and just makes me happy that I made it the way I made it. And I don't think I would change much of my journey because I am who I am right now because of it. But I would definitely would love to be one of those people in my country that could help players to have a better way to achieving a result than I did. Yeah, uh, well put, Sophia. There's a question here as well from our producer, just saying we've heard from other players it's difficult to maintain that love for the sport. Have you ever felt the same, noticed it with other players? What's your relationship with tennis in general? Well, uh, yeah, of course, I, I, it is difficult to maintain that love for tennis because, as I said, especially when you don't have a big management company that's supporting you or you don't have wild cards and you're not one of those top juniors and you're coming from a country like myself... I mean, so many times you sit there and you go like, is it worth it? I mean, come on, it's not even worth it. Like, I just like busted my my body. Like, I took like four flights to get somewhere to lose first round and I just gained $35 and you go like, oh, well, <laughs> okay. Maybe it's not worth it. And uh, like, harder it is to get to the top, harder it is to maintain the love of the sport. But one thing for sure is that every tennis player I know, even when they quit and even when they say, okay, I'm not going to touch tennis racket anymore. My kid will never play tennis. They go away, they take a break for a couple of months and they go like, oh, I really, really miss it. Or maybe I shouldn't have quit. Or And then they end up being coaches or their kids end up playing tennis. So it's just the sport is like drug. You still keep loving mm -hmm. it, even if that's a love-hate relationship at some point yeah I mean I, I it's, it's totally not relatable in the same way because I'm not a professional tennis player by any means but as soon as you sort of get the bug and you're sort of close to tennis you can't stay away 
completely agree, Sophia. Um, when you fall in love with it, it's difficult to, to get away from it, right? Here's a question from Jair as well. Do you think there are more opportunities for Georgian boys and girls to take up tennis now than when you were first starting? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because we also had a player, uh, we also have a player, Nicolas Basilashvili. He made very popular tennis game, get, got very popular thanks to him because he was top 15 in the world. And we have actually many, many kids playing tennis. Unfortunately for Georgia, we don't have this minimal standards of coaching, uh, which is a really big problem. Just anyone can simply coach, you know, you can mm -hmm. be amateur and just uh, rent a court and say that you're coaching and you can coach kids. And it's actually, it's, it's taking a very bad toll for tennis players because they reach 15, 16 years of all, uh, old and they, their technique is very bad because they've been coached bad, but there is more possibilities. There is internet, there's people who care about tennis more like <laughs> even my company, like I, I created it mostly for Georgia, you know, and there are players who played with me, my age that are very, 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 eager to help tennis players to develop also there is more possibilities to go abroad to even get internet tips you know like when i was starting there was no instagram there was no patrick murataglu tips i couldn't like look up the academy online you know it was so so hard you could like you couldn't find out anything so obviously there's way way more possibilities right now yeah, it's interesting you say that about the internet. Maybe just a, a closing thought on this because I've heard good and bad reviews of, of internet coaches. I, personally, I would say it's a little bit, it, you know, if, you, if you're only relying on the internet to figure out how to serve, etc., you're probably going to turn out with some pretty funky technique, right? Is, is it a good idea for anybody just to go on YouTube and start coaching or do you think it's more or less right. a good thing? <laughs> To be honest, I'm absolutely against it. One thing yeah. is to have a coach like Patrick Muratoglu, who is actually a legit tennis coach, giving a couple of tips on his mm -hmm. Instagram. And the other thing is someone, uh, I don't want to be rude or mean, but someone wannabe who probably hasn't played good tennis himself, just to go and start to teach everyone over the internet. And yeah. tennis is still a sport where you need a presence. And I really, really don't think... Even though we're in 21st century, I really don't think it can be changed virtually. You still have to be on court. You still have to be hitting the balls. And you still have to have a coach presence that will stand behind your back and will tell you, like, right now you need to hit, right now this, that, or actually to tell you to zip it and just play, you know? So... <laughs> It's actually very downgrading to a lot of professional coaches who played, who studied for many years and actually earned their status as a professional coach to stand there on the court with player. And then someone just can upload a video on YouTube and call themselves a coach. Also, for me, it's a bit disrespectful to people who actually put in a lot of years of work in it. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, and I love what you said there. Tennis is a sport that needs presence and that's something I love about it. It's always going to be the case. You need somebody sort of in your corner and stuff. Yeah, really well put, Sophia. Uh, any closing thoughts before I close up shop, Sophia? Not much. I really love what you're doing. And it's very nice to spread awareness about tennis and especially lower ranked tennis players, which are actually pretty good tennis players also. And I wish you a lot of success and good luck with your show in the future. Thank you, very, thank you very much. Yeah, and same to you, Sophia, Sophia Shapatova, everybody. Shapatava, sorry, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Sophia. This has been uh, Talking Tennis, and um, we'll see you very, very soon. No, no problem, Sophia. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button.
don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.